Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech wiped the floor with ECU 64-17, and I am pumped about it. Robbie, give us a cheers. I think we have to do a cheers to Cam Phillips and Josh Jackson. Holy hell. Have a day. Yeah, man. Jeez. Um, talk about uh, coming out and setting the world on fire. It was a little slow early on, but once things got heated up, uh, it got it got saucy. I, I, you know, I had to I had to take off my long sleeve. It was getting a little hot because uh, five TD <laughs> passes for Josh and three TD receptions for Cam. So cheers to those guys. And I know they've gotten a ton of uh, recognition. You know, rookie of the week and um, you know wide receiver of the week, all that kind of stuff from a various different websites. So congrats to those guys. Yep. Cheers. <clears throat> and just think about how many more it could have been if they had played the fourth quarter. <laughs> what, what could they have put up? Unbelievable. Yeah. And yeah, an early poll, it was, uh, that's what you want to see. You want, you <laughs> yeah. want your starters out. That's the good stuff. That's true. All right. So a couple news and notes, and we're going to start with the big one. And that is the Clemson game time was set yesterday on Monday. It is 8 PM on Saturday. Like a lot of us had hoped and it sets the stage for what we all hope will be game day for that week. Hasn't been announced yet. I think they usually announce it the Thursday or Friday, the week before the game. So that's in a couple days here. We'll see what happens. We have a good shot. And I guess as long as uh, both teams hold up their end of the bargain against BC, and we'll talk about ODU in a little bit here, it's going to be a great game. Yeah, I guess. So what's the, it, it could be, what's Georgia, Tennessee is that weekend? And then there's one other game, but. It's, um, there's a Washington State uh, is playing USC or something like that. And yeah. then there's one other SEC game that's the, uh, that's would challenge it. The The hard thing is they just went to Louisville, you know, for a game against Clemson. Yeah. But I don't know if that would deter them or not. I, I, I kind of doubt it. Like this Clemson is the national champions, so they'll probably end up going to a game day or two to wherever they play. I think that's yeah. normally how it works. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's Mississippi State is playing at Auburn that weekend, and Georgia is playing Tennessee, but I don't think they'd be going to that. So, um, But I, I, I think they'll end up in Blacksburg. It's the There's a lot of things riding on it. You have, what, the 300th game day pick, I think it is, for the Corso. Um, Corso. And they haven't been there since 2007. Both teams could be potentially undefeated going into that game. And it's a rematch of the ACC championship. There's a lot of talking points on it. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Because uh, sometimes my college days seem like just yesterday. And sometimes they seem really far away. But it's hard to believe that it's been 10 years since they've been to Blacksburg. And if you think about it, 10 years on our football merits? No, it's 12 years on our football merits. They came because, you know, the the tragedy had just happened and it was the opening game, but it was 2005 against Miami. We were number 3, they were number 5. That was the last time they were here and we can talk about some of the comparisons to that game with our uh 
with our Clemson game uh, at the end probably. But the next news item I had was Adonis was suspended for ECU. That came out after our podcast last week. And it still seems a little up in the air for ODU, but Bud Foster says probably not. Yeah, I don't know what he did. I don't care what he did, but it, it sucks for us because it did have an impact, I think. And it seemed it, I, like it. Yeah. And in, in you know, it wasn't it wasn't anything against the opponent that we had that was going to be problematic, but you could tell, you know, with Faison coming in, it it looked rusty. It did without him out there. So he's a valuable asset to the team. I just hope, you know, whatever he did, he pays his dues, gets back onto I mean, Fuente doesn't joke around. I think one thing we've noticed <laughs> that yeah. he's he's not playing guys if they screw up off the field. He really doesn't have a problem just putting people on the bench, making them pay their dues generally. So, and hopefully they, we get past it and Adonis can get back out there. I don't know what he did. I'm not speculating. Don't care. Just hope he, you know, can wreck, right the wrong. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm going to use the Wyatt Teller comparison when he was going through a little bit of the second team before the Tennessee game last year. And we were all saying when Tennessee game comes, like Teller's going to be in there. And he was, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking that when the Clemson game comes, Adonis is going to be in there. Yeah. I would would fully agree with that. Fuente wants to win. So I think he's going to be playing. He does want to win. That's, that's for sure. So I, yeah, I wouldn't anticipate him being out for Clemson, but the timing worked out the two games that he's out for, we can handle, right. hopefully, that, that loss. The next thing I had was the helmets for Military Appreciation Day were revealed. The ones we'll be wearing this weekend, they are the American flag in the VT helmets that we wore for ECU two years ago, and they've got a red and blue stripe on the top. They look pretty good. I don't know what jersey we're wearing with them, but that was just a little aside. And the last thing I had was we put out our new stats page that you tweeted it out the other day and all credit goes to Robbie on this one. Cause he did all the work he's been mapping every pass that Josh Jackson has thrown. He did it last year for Gerard Evans as well. And now we've put all of those stats up on our website and they look really good. So if you go to 2dvt.com, you can go through all the charts. There's a lot of good ones on there. Completion percentage per down who he's throwing to, all that kind of stuff, and it compares it to Gerard Evans last year as well. And job well done on that, Robbie. We like stats on the podcast. We try not to throw out too many of them. Oftentimes we do, but we're I think we're both. <laughs> that's why we're big fans of uh, the S and P Plus and all of those things. We like the like numbers, and unfortunately for college football, there are certain stats that I think are pretty fundamental that are important and they don't exist for college football teams. They get tracked by ESPN, uh, pro football focus, um, has them as well, but they do not get put on the website. There's no way to find them unless you want to send a message to David Hale and he'll respond and give it to you. But you know, so we just started doing it ourselves. So let's jump into this game recap and I'm not going to do the typical long game recap because with all the scores that would take a really long time. I'm going to do a quick summary. They jumped out to a 17-7 lead. It's pretty frustrating. We ground them down with three long drives in the second quarter. It was 23-17 to at the half. Then we blew them away in the third quarter with 34 points, 57 unanswered points in total. And then in the fourth quarter, we played all backups and we won 64-17. to 
I was pretty frustrated in the beginning of that game. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like wanted to walk away from it for 20 minutes and just come back and see what had happened. And I was a much happier camper when I did come back because we managed to put a couple drives together. Yeah, this was case in point of old habits die hard. And (laughs) it felt it's going to take a little while for us to realize that this isn't the old Virginia Tech team, right? And we've seen it. We saw it in the bowl game. We saw it against Notre Dame. We've seen things like this where... For once, it's actually kind of cool when you and I talked about this after last week's podcast a little bit, where taking a step back and recognizing what's happening to the program, what we're going through is probably good for all fans to do because you can be down and not look good in the first half and feel like you have a a solid chance of still winning that game with the second half. And that's not something that Virginia Tech fans have become accustomed to over the years. And it's cool to watch it happening. It's still stressful. And I was as freaked out as you were during that beginning part of the game, thinking that it was deja vu. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be the kind of thing that necessarily goes away at any point during Fuente's tenure. Maybe when our recruiting elevates to another level, it'll stop happening as often. But I think there's always going to be a couple, three, four games a year that start off not the way we want to, and then we come on fast. And I think it's because of Fuente's style. What he does on offense, it requires kind of trapping the other team. And so you can't necessarily – some of his plays are not designed to score a touchdown. You know, They're not designed to have a big play early on in the game. They're to bait the team so you can have a big play later. So I don't know if this is ever going to change us starting, quote-unquote, slow. It doesn't happen all every game. But it happens, and it happened in a bunch of games last year, and it kind of happened at this game. Uh, and then we did overwhelm. And you're on the road, and it, 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 that will happen more so on the road. Uh, but I just don't know if it's ever going to completely go away just because that's the style Fuente plays. Yeah, and we're over here, and we've said it before, playing checkers. He's playing chess, and mm-hmm. he sees things that we don't see. And... He's ready to you know, pull it out at the right times to kind of take the lead, and maybe it's in the second half. But he, it's, it's actually impressive to watch just how he doesn't freak out. It's just totally cool, calm, collected. He sees what the bait is. He's putting it out there, and then he knows that once the, the defense takes it, he's going to put up 50 points unanswered and feel good about it. So let's get into the positives because there weren't very many negatives. We'll we'll touch on them. We just kind of did just with the slow start thing. But the offense set a school record, or at least they tied it. 675 yards of offense in 1993 against Pitt. Apparently we put up that same number, but it tied the school record for yards of offense in a game. 64 points. That's the most since 2011 opener versus Appalachian State. Appalachian State. Let me correct myself. And... <laughs> We had a 34-12 to 12 first down advantage, just two away from the school record of 36. 54 plays in the first half, 20 minutes time of possession. And like I said, we ground them down in the second quarter. And we didn't get touchdowns on all those drives. In fact, we kicked a bunch of field goals. But that paved the way for what happened in that third quarter. They just couldn't hang. Yeah, they got worn out and... The game was so methodical in that first half because at certain points, 
you could tell Fuente was just, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball. We're going to, it just repeated. You could see. And at one, I think it might've been nine, nine um, plays in a row between a couple of different drives that he just ran the ball and he was wearing them down repeatedly. And it opened up so much over the course of the game after that. And I think it was also good. I think he isn't just paying lip service to the fact that he wants a good round, you know, a ground game. He really wants us to be able to run the football. And I think it showed in this game that he was going to do whatever he could to get reps, figure it out, and and also to wear out the defense. Four drives went 11 or more plays, including our longest drive of the season, which lasted five minutes and 40 seconds, which is a long drive for Fuente. 287 rush yards for our guys, second most in the Fuente era, behind only the UVA game last year. And at that one point in the third quarter, and you tweeted out a stat on this, 27 points in the first nine minutes of that quarter. But you had a stat on J.J.'s completions, I think. Yeah, so at one point he had nine straight completions, 189 yards, and four touchdowns, which I think that's pretty good. <laughs> so that, That's insane. That's more- that's more than 20 yards per pass, and uh, every almost every other pass was a touchdown, which isn't just... Uh, and granted, we all know it's ECU, but I don't care who you're playing. You could be playing the softest school in the country, and that's tough to do. I talked about all the long drives in the first half. All of those scoring drives uh, in the third quarter like added up to six minutes <laughs> and that was it. And so we were essentially scoring a TD every 90 seconds of possession. I noticed that I don't think we, we only threw when AJ Bush came in, we only threw two passes, I think in the last quarter and a half of the entire game. So it was almost it, it's like 20 minutes and there was two passes and one of them wasn't even really a pass. It was just kind of a dink and dunk uh, that he had. So this game was over, and uh, Fuente took it easy on towards the end, that's for sure. Yeah. One thing I was very encouraged to see is that we were 9 for 15 uh, on third down, and that's something we talked about last week. We had to get better. We were one of the worst teams in FBS, and we were at 60% in this game on third down and one for one on fourth. So it was uh, it was a good showing in that regard. Josh, 24 for 31, 372, and five touchdowns. It was tied for the most touchdowns in a game with uh, Randall and Evans because Evans did it just last year, five TDs. No picks again for Josh, a 231, 231.4 rating as a passer rating and now has the best passer rating in the ACC currently, and he's 14th nationally. So that's saying something for a redshirt freshman is currently the most efficient passer in the ACC. Now, we'll take into account we play Delaware and ECU, and ECU is, is bad, but that is still damn good. It's unbelievable. So 77% completion percentage before that in the two games prior, he was 58 and 57. It's almost a 20% jump right there. 73% of his passes, which I created this. I don't even know if it's a real stat, but uh, 73% completion beyond the line of scrimmage. So given the screen passes that we, that Fuente likes to and you know deploy and, and use, I don't think of those as, Yes, they're completions, but I don't think of those as the tough passes. I think beyond the line of scrimmage is a nice way to look at it. And he was still 73% beyond the line of scrimmage. 
Um, and that's where the pass is arriving to is how I calculate it. And it's probably just a made up stat that I like tracking and looking at. Um, and yeah, he, he looked exceptional. And like you said, we were, I think you said 60% on third down. I think overall he was like 86% on third down passing. So I I think that is pretty exceptional. And there was, he was 40% in each of the prior two games. So this kid, came out and he is much we are watching him mature very quickly and the zero interceptions it's easy to kind of just say that that is huge it for is. a redshirt freshman to not make a mistake in three games again regardless of the opponent sometimes you're just going to have mishaps and he's avoided them cam phillips blew up three touchdowns 189 yards he's now the leader in receiving yards in FBS. He's played one extra game than a guy, so he's technically second in yards per game. But total yardage, leader in FBS. That That's pretty amazing. And I, I just want to – can we just start his, his Heisman watch right now? Can we do that? I think so. <laughs> well, it was so funny because we – I sent out a tweet about this. We were talking so much – you remember when we were talking about Isaiah Ford and whether he was going to break a thousand and how big of a milestone that was. Right. And then I was just looking at the stats and he was already at whatever, 419 and we're three games in or something along those lines. Unreal. I was like, what the? he could just take off the next three games and still be on track to break a thousand. So I wanted more plays out of Clark and Trayvon and they both gave me one because Clark only had the one catch but Trayvon's one catch was awesome it was that same pass that Josh missed last week he didn't miss it this time and Trayvon speed just took it straight to the house and that was probably my favorite touchdown of the day might be a tie with the third Cam Phillips touchdown which was a perfect pass from Josh yeah threaded the needle on that pass Trayvon 11 carries, 72 yards, and then that 70-yard pop pass for a touchdown, which I I had heard rumblings from certain people that they don't really like that. I think Fuente knows when to pull that thing out, and it is awesome. He, You said earlier about baiting the defense and finding those opportunities and then taking advantage. That is his play when he... It's like a... It's like a art that he does. He's like a painting afterwards. You're like, he just sets it up. And then when it comes out, everybody that's on the other side of the ball is like, ah, shit. He really just got us good on that one. And $70, 70 yards right down the seam. Unbelievable. McLeese, another nice day for him. 11 carries, 55 yards. Good average there. And if you add in people's production, our three headed monster at running back had 238 all purpose yards and two touchdowns. I, I'm loving what I'm seeing from those three guys. They complement each other so well. You've got speed, you've got shiftiness, you've got power in, all th- in, com- in the combination. So I'm real happy there. The wide receiver group seems to be building the depth we wanted. Savoy, Clark, Murphy, Keen, Grimsley, they all caught passes in this game. Savoy had a touchdown. One thing French noted too is that Keen and Clark really blocked well in this game also. And that's something that I didn't, necessarily pick up on but watching the game back and after hearing that I was like they absolutely did Keen made some really nice blocks in that game and this is 
really starting to look like we're going to have a group here that Fuente can work with in terms on the outside. It was a little bit touch and go in the first two games, but Savoy has stepped up, and it looks like between Murphy, Clark, and Grimsley, we'll have enough guys to catch passes. And you know, you throw in a Cunningham, you throw in a Keen, and whatever else. We'll we'll see what happens there, but the depth is starting to build. Yeah. What would you have said if I told you our rushing touchdowns would come from Holston, Fox, and Peoples? <laughs> I probably would have said, okay, we slaughtered them. <laughs> That's a, Because I mean, I, Coleman I looking- Fox getting carries is not something that we've seen very often. <laughs> and his touchdown was actually pretty nice. And yeah. it was celebrated uh, better than almost any other touchdown we scored all day. It was. That was, that was really cool. But... It was just funny because I was going back through stats and looking at the running backs, and the running backs had a great a great day. I thought I thought the ground game looked fantastic, but when I went to look at who had scored, because there were so many touchdowns, I was looking back and I was like, who scored them all? And I was like, Holston, Coleman Fox, and Stephen Peoples. I was like, wait a second, I would not have uh, I would not have guessed that going into the game, but obviously it's because of a great outcome. Let's flip over to defense. Before the 17 points, they had given up mm, seven completions through those three drives. After ECU's final score, our defense gave up four completions for the rest of the game. That was 47 and a half minutes of game time. They gave up four completions and 68 yards for the rest of the game. <laughs> I, I mean, they really, really clamped down. I, as much as I was mad at the beginning, you can't argue with what they did after that. Yeah, I I was in the same boat as you. We were texting back and forth. I was kind of pissed off. I don't. They were, they were good passes, but those guys were kind of wide open. And then all of a sudden, it just with a, you know, flip of the switch, disappeared. And there was no openings. They couldn't pass. It. It was a credit to what the defense. I don't wouldn't even put that on Bud Foster. I think it was just better execution quite frankly, by the defensive backs, by the defense as a whole. I didn't see any huge adjustments that we made as much as players were just taking it seriously and 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 being in their positions in the right place and, and covering people better. Just 40 yards rushing for ECU. We shut that down. Three turnovers, including two forced fumbles and the interception by Stroman. He just continues to make plays back there. 11 tackles for a loss as a team, two sacks. It was just a really dominating performance when it was all said and done. Uh, If I had to point out a player or two, I guess Mook, 10 tackles, uh, two and a half tackles for loss. Nice couple of plays by Ladler filling in later. I mean, there were so many guys. Ricky Walker had another nice game. Uh, What they were doing inside really changed everything for the defense. Mm Mm-hmm. It's I, I could point out almost every player, but so many backups got time too that that cut into the numbers of some of the bigger guys. It was just a really a, a team performance back there. Yeah, no, I agree. the The only item that kind of stuck out to me, and this is um, it's it's just been something I've honed in on a little bit, which is the defensive line. Only one full sack, and then two half sacks beyond that. We did have eight QB hurries which hurries are the worst one of the worst stats tracked by <laughs> in football period because it has a different meaning depending on who's doing it but we we're going to be going up against a team 
such as Clemson, that had 11 sacks in one game. So just to put that in perspective, um, and we know why it is, right? The defensive ends are not nearly as dominant as our defensive tackles, and that just makes it tough. Coming off the edge, that's usually where you're you know, really making hay on, on your sacks, and I don't know that we have it. It's not a big concern, but it's something I think we just need to watch out for. It's a better run stuffing line than it is pass rushing line. I think we'd all agree with that. I mean, I think French has talked about that too. This is, it's a dominant run stuffing defensive front. Uh, Justin Crawford aside, he's a very, very good player. And what West Virginia can do can really screw you up. But this defensive line is built to stop the run. So they've done just that and did it in this game. 19th in scoring D uh, and second in tackles for loss per game in the nation. So even though we're not getting the sacks, we are getting people behind the line of scrimmage. Yep. And the three turnovers put us at seventh in turnover margin in the nation. Think about where we were last year at this time. I think, I think After we were like Tennessee second game. to last. <laughs> oh my God. The Tennessee game and the Liberty game, we had nine turnovers in the first two games. Yeah. So I, I think when we were we were talking about it, we were the second to last team in FBS in turnovers last year, and now we're the seventh best. So it, it's <laughs> how it can change. It, it's amazing, and I don't know if that's better QB center uh, combination, like better chemistry there. I don't know what it is, but whatever the focus has been from the coaching staff to not turn the ball over, it, it's working. And I think it's the coaches and Fuente putting. You know, their money where their mouth is. He said in preaches protecting the football and last season people that didn't got benched very, very quickly outside of Gerard Evans because we couldn't bench him. But otherwise, you didn't get the ball again if you put it on the ground. And after a season of seeing that, I think people came back and it's not just lip service. He, he, he People know that if they don't hold on, it's it's done. They'll, they'll be out for the game or maybe a couple games. The special teams had a nice day as well, and really it's about Joey Sly. He went three for three on his field goals, all inside of 40 yards. He broke Shane Graham's field goal record, and he had 11 kickoffs, which is a lot of kickoffs, 10 of them for touchbacks, and the one which I thought was a squib, but Fuente said it was actually a mistake. He's the one that made the tackle on the return. Yeah, that was and a a pretty good tackle at that. It, it was, was an uh, awesome tackle. Yeah, it was uh, it was a nice form tackle that I think actually left a, a decent sized bruise on uh, on the dude that he hit. So that was awesome. As for negatives, early defensive mistakes we talked about, slow start we talked about, finishing drives in the first half we did have to kick three field goals, and we're 85th nationally in TD percentage in the red zone. Only nine TDs on 16 trips. That could be improved upon. And the only other thing in this game was the officiating, again, was not very good. Uh, we had some AAC officials. I think Fuente himself wasn't even happy about it, and he's as cool as they come. The targeting call initially on Strowman, even though it didn't stand, how they could make that call when it was the back of his legs that hit the guy in the helmet is just beyond me. There's so much wrong with that call. It's un- unbelievable. It wasn't even the... For me, it wasn't even that the back of the legs. It was the fact that the only person that had a play on that ball was Stroman. 
Right. He almost he was the one that actually had a play on the ball, and it was so dumb. And you knew it was getting overturned, which kept Fuente from I think going crazy. But you just hate to see that kind of stupid call that. I don't even know what they were looking at because he was the one that going after the ball. He actually almost caught it and it was not even his helmet that went anywhere close to the player. And the non-call on Cam's first touchdown for pass interference that Cam was made an amazing effort and ripped it away despite the fact that he was being absolutely strangled in the end zone. No call. Officials right there. No call. He scored yep. it anyway, but it was ridiculous. Uh, overall, great game. Historic numbers. The defensive clamped down. But keep in mind, it was a very bad ECU team. I know they've been a thorn in our sides, but they are awful. Like They, they are one of the worst teams in FBS. And against any MAC team, against any team, UTEP, put them up, and we'll see what happens. They have UConn this week. It might be their last chance for a win all year. Yeah, it's not going to go well for Scotty. Scotty don't. <laughs> so Scotty don't. Scotty don't. It's uh, they made a bad decision and they're paying the price for it. Is the best I can say. And they got rid of a really good coach. And that's not to say that Montgomery can't turn things around and make it work. But right now, it looks really, really bad. It does. On that note, let's take a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm going to plead ignorance here. I don't know if I've had this on the podcast. I will check the website uh, probably tomorrow and find out. But I'm having the Citradelic New Belgium Tangerine IPA. We are losing the warm weather at a very fast pace. So if I was going to go with a fruity IPA, this is probably one of my last chances to do it. New Belgium, Fort Collins, Colorado, where all the um, the Trustafarians are, uh, as they call them, all live out there, and it's good. I like it. It's um, I'm not a I'm not a huge tangerine uh, guy, but it's a refreshing beer. And New Belgium, they're okay. I, I I don't love them, but they got a couple good beers. Fat Tire is trash, but other than that, they have, they have a couple other good ones. Well, we think alike. One, on New Belgium, I think it's just okay. But two, it is our last chance at summer today. So I did the same as you. I went with a summery beer. Uh, I went with a Rattler, and it's the Bitburger Rattler. And a Rattler's a German invention. Bitburger's a German beer in that it was actually invented for cyclists, and I think Rattler is German for cyclists. So they could drink beer on these races that they were doing. And so that's why a Rattler is half juice, half beer. And so that's how much Germans like to drink, that even when they're competing in a bike race, they invented a beer that they could drink and also compete. And that's what a Rattler is. And Bitburger, if you go to any beer garden, you'll see it. It's just your standard German Pilsner, very clear in color, golden. Uh, Rattlers tend to not be very alcoholic. I don't think this one is either. It's basically 50% lemonade, 50% beer. But like I said, Summer's just about over, and I'm enjoying it. The Bitburger Rattler, it's got lemon flavor. It's pretty much a malt beverage. It's not really a beer, but it it's is like, from— It's like the Four loco, 
Like we <laughs> we wanted to find a way to get it. Except drunk. for those are ten percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's my point. Is Americans wanted to find a way to get as drunk as possible, so they mixed caffeine, which uh, it increases the you know the how fast alcohol absorbs with alcohol, and you know those guys decided that they want to be able to drink while they're doing athletic activities. <laughs> I just wish that someone would bring Sparks back. <laughs> <laughs> remember Spark, those puppies sparks were yes yes yeah they had the uh battery colored can like the can looked like a battery had like a plus and minus on it yeah and it was really thick and like orange i love was, those things it was outrageous <laughs> and that that was the original four loco it was i think it was uh let's move on to odu Last year, Old Dominion went 10-3, and three. they were 7-1 in conference, and they were 73rd in the S&P. That's pretty impressive considering Bobby Wilder, their coach, started the program from scratch in 2007, won nine games in his first FCS season in 2009, and then won 10 games in just their third FBS season. This guy has turned around this program so much more quickly I shouldn't say even turned around. He started it from nothing, making them relevant so much more quickly than any other anyone expected. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, he got a if the you listen to the press conference today for the Virginia Tech coaches, one of the things that they praised was his job and what he's done at Old Dominion. And you know, that's that's far from a powerhouse. That's a tough school to to try and recruit into and and turn into something. And he's managed, he's managed to do it. So um, you know, in, impressive. And uh, I'm not exactly excited to play ODU. I can't say that uh, in particular. And we talked about this one in our original preview. The Monarchs are not exactly the first on my list of people, but I think I would actually have them higher than Liberty. So I'd rather play <laughs> yeah. ODU than Liberty, quite frankly. And uh, nobody likes Liberty. So it'll be fine. You know, it's good recruiting territory. And, um, you know, that that will be beneficial, I guess. So they brought back 14 starters. And they were projected in the S&P to finish at 93. A little bit worse than last year. But they did lose a bunch of key guys. At the same time, there's a lot of talent still coming back. And I think Wilder and ODU was hoping to have a really good season. They had UNC coming into their house last week, and they were 2-0 and before that game. Well, unfortunately, this team has been really ravaged by injuries. Their tight end is out. Their right tackle is out. Their starting running back is out. Their best wide receiver is out. None of them are going to play against Virginia Tech. And that was four of their best players, according to Wilder. And in the UNC game, a game in which they were down by a lot, they decided to pull their starting quarterback, Blake LaRussa, someone we talked about over the summer in our team previews, and bring in a true freshman in Stephen Williams. And we'll talk about Williams in a minute, but that kind of move to me indicates Wilder's ready to pull the plug is harsh, but kind of start building for next year now. Yeah, he's cutting bait. He's cutting bait early. <laughs> and I don't know how else you do that. It's, yeah, and we were talking about his his stats weren't that bad. Let's be transparent here. I haven't about watched every, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. 
I haven't watched every ODU game that they played this year, so well, let's be honest. But from a statistic standpoint, it wasn't the type of thing where you... It's not the type of uh, box score or box scores that you would see pulling a quarterback and starting a 17-year-old freshman. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I fully agree. And I think that Williams allows them to do a couple different things. He's an athletic kid. In fact, he was Sean Savoy's high school quarterback at Woodrow Wilson High School in D.C. And that was a pretty good team, as you might imagine, from those having those two guys on the team. I don't know if he gives ODU a better chance to win every game, but the offense wasn't doing well in UNC. And when Williams came in, he kind of sparked them, got two touchdowns, and he went nine for 20, but he got them two touchdowns on two drives and they ended up losing by 30 points. But I really think that this team could have been so much better. We talked about in the summer how we thought this could be a trap game, serious trap game because of the Clemson spot. And it still is to an extent, but it's so much different now because they, they're not at full strength and it's a little unfortunate for them. I, I, I picked them to maybe upset UNC last week, kind of not knowing they were having all these injury troubles. And as I've peeled back the onion, um, I feel better about our matchup, but I feel a little bit bad for ODU. Yeah. You never want to see that. It's not fun. It's, and that's not to say that I want to walk into this game worrying about ODU. It benefits us. We can all be transparent about that, but it's just not fun for a team that is not at full strength. Where for them, they're well below full strength. They're, they've lost key pieces of their entire, you know, what was going to differentiate them. And this year. So I, I'm not that excited about going in and beating up on a team, hopefully knock on wood that would, you know, <laughs> we keep doing that, that has a coach that I actually really like his comments about Virginia tech today were really nice. He talked about enter Sandman, how it's one of the greatest things in college football and to see somebody come out and have his team, you know, be hurt and injured just isn't isn't fun for me maybe other people like that kind of stuff but it's not great so as for their offense and what they're going to do in the game it's completely unexpected at this point because everything that we thought we were going to see uh they got a new quarterback they got different wide receivers they don't have uh i think it was lowry uh was the Ray Lowry was their starting running back. And he was a really good player last year. Him and Jeremy Cox, who is still healthy, ran for over 2000 yards last year. They only got one half of that combo. They got another running back in Jackson, who's averaging about six yards per carry. And they got a pretty good uh, wide receiver in Travis Fulgham, who's from Ashburn, uh, 10 receptions, 183 yards and a touchdown. But with a quarterback that is probably going to pass well under 50% in this game, I don't expect them to be able to do a lot. Whatever running game they did have, I think we'll be able to to stuff. As we said, this is a line that can definitely do that, uh, and we'll just have to see. I think we should talk about their defense because they do have some bright spots there, especially their defensive line. They rotate in a lot of guys. Another thing that has stayed true from our summer preview is that they go about nine deep on that defensive line which is something that we can't even say that we do. Yeah, and so they're returning. They have a ton of experience on on the defensive side of the ball. Um, They have 
pretty good size on at defensive tackle, which I think is going to end up being uh, something that's going to cause us a few headaches until we adjust and, and find some stuff on the perimeter. Uh, I think their end position is actually in pretty good shape as well. So I am extremely interested. I guess the best way to put this is I, I have confidence that Josh now three games in that Josh Jackson is going to make the right decisions and that right decision might be throwing it out of bounds, but not to do anything stupid. That's going to cause us problems. They're the number one defensive unit in sacks in the country. They're number one in sacks. They only had one versus UNC, but they threw up 15 in the two games before that. So they can get after your quarterback. Josh has a tough task against them. And I think it's a really good matchup for him to learn about what kind of pressure it's going to go to a whole nother level against He's going to see it Clemson. against Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's this my is point. good training wheels. <laughs> it's perfect timing. It's, it's not great. It's not fun to be send you know, your QB out against that, but what better defensive line to take as a step towards going with Clemson and Clemson's defensive line is sick. They rebuilt that, you know, it's just that good. So I think the timing is actually kind of beneficial for us, but they're, they are good on defense. They really are. Exemes, Fox, Rotimi, they all have three-plus sacks. The backups, uh, Ward and Apu, I think I'm pronouncing that right, have around three tackles for loss. Everyone on that defensive line has taken guys down behind the backfield. They're very even. Like Their starters, their backups, they're all just right there. They, you're not much drop-off at all going from the first to the second group. They're the as opposite far as linebackers, of us. They're the opposite of our defense. They are. Line. They really are. <laughs> They are far, not maybe not exceptional, but they are extremely balanced, which gives them fresh bodies. And we are pretty exceptional at a few positions, and but not much depth depth behind those people. Where we really differentiate is that linebacker because they're young and thin. And while we may be slightly thin at linebacker, we still have some decent depth, and we're extremely experienced. This is an area that Fuente will attack their linebacking core. And I thought that their DBs would be a good unit going into the year. They too have experienced uh, a little bit of shakeups and they have Sean Carter back there. Uh, top returning tackler. Denzel Williams has 13 solo tackles on the year. They got some other guys, but that back seven is definitely susceptible. Uh, UNC, I think it was 9.9 yards per play against yep. against ODU. So it's uh it's going to be it's going to be tough for that back end of their defense with what Josh showed he could do last week through the air. I expect Fuente to attack that middle tier passing game as he always does and have a lot of success. The special teams for ODU. Both kickers are back and they have a really good kick returner in Isaiah Harper. Fuente talked about it on Tech Talk Live. I think he talked about it in the post-game press conference too. Uh, Harper's 10th nationally in kick returns. He had a 100-yard return against UNC. And they have a decent punt returner in Darrell Brown too. He's 27th nationally. 12 punt returns for Brown. It's the most in FBS. So he's experienced at bringing back the ball at the very least from the punt returns. And Harper's a dynamic kick returner. So... That's something that could keep ODU in the game for a little mm-hmm. while is their special teams play. But as you know, we're pretty good at that too. Yeah, special teams has become uh, 
they keep they keep saying Beamer Ball, which is driving me crazy. I'm like, Beamer's gone. We <laughs> Shabest has taken over and he's kept it up. I think that I think listen, we got a great kicker. He took his a few nicks here and there. I think we are returners are great. Punting, I think we have that locked down. I think special teams this year we're probably that's going to end up netting to our benefit most of the teams that we play yeah. because I think we have a pretty solid core of of whether it's you know receiving and 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 bring the ball back or whether it's us kicking and and what's happening on that side but no it's it's no doubt that they have a great a core there but I I still I still like our crew yeah let's wrap up ODU here and uh so we can move on to just a couple talking points before we do our picks. Uh, I'm thinking that our defensive tackles and defensive line in general is just going to completely shut down their run game. And I want to put pressure on their quarterback. He's 17 years old, making a start in Lane Stadium. I would imagine Bud's going to bring the house on this poor kid. Yeah, it's it could be kind of sad. I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I don't know. This could be one of those situations, and I hate to say it because I always end up jinxing us, that we think that we're going to have five interceptions and this kid just comes out and passes for 250 yards and three touchdowns. and Anything's possible, man. <laughs> and it just feels like one of those games where every, all the chips are stacked against this kid coming out as a 17-year-old, and it's Bud Foster, one of the best defensive coordinators in the last 50 years. And then he comes out and somehow makes something miraculous happen. But I don't think that that's going to overcome what our offense can do, what our defense should be able to do over the test of the entire game, similar to ECU. ECU came out and they blew their load early. And at the pretty quickly, we recognized that, guess what? That was not going to be sustainable for four quarters. I want to see how our O-line steps up against this defensive line because this is their first really traditional test. We know that West Virginia's defensive line and what their defensive system is a little bit more quirky, but this is a true test against a traditional front. I want to see if our O-line can do what they did in the last few games and you know get some running lanes open for our running backs. And even if we overlook ODU, I still think that we're going to overwhelm them eventually. Like even if even if we sleepwalk through the first half, I don't think knocking on wood that they'll be able to do enough to to come close to beating us. Yeah, and I come back to this game similar to the ECU game, my commentary for that. The number one thing I want to see is no no injuries. That's all I I just want to go into this Clemson game I feel like we have enough firepower to beat ODU. Even if it's not comfortable, it's not a 30-point win, or even if we win by 10, whatever. Who cares? Move on. I just right. don't want any inter- any injuries. I want to go into this Clemson game full strength because it it it, it is it's hard to express how meaningful that game is for the program with and do it the right amount of justice because it is an absolute game changer on so many different levels from a tactical standpoint, a recruiting standpoint, from national media standpoint, whatever the case may be. So let's talk about that Clemson game. 
just a little bit because we get we'll have get to do it again next week. But that's, well, our well, if we don't do real- it now, it'll be a two-hour podcast next week because <laughs> it's such a big game. <laughs> our schedule really was perfect, in my opinion, for the tuning up for Clemson. Even Fuente said how much he liked our schedule. He didn't talk about it in regard to Clemson, but he he was talking on Tech Talk Live about how he liked where the bye week was and this and that. And we had a tough test week one, easier opponent to get Josh's feet wet in Lane Stadium, work out some kinks against Delaware. And now Josh will finally face a legitimately good defensive line before we play Clemson. Now, the back end of ODU is nothing compared to Clemson, but at the very least... If he sees pressure, pressure, pressure all game, that's good training for him. He ha- you know, he hasn't seen a lot of football at the collegiate level, at least played in it. So I really couldn't be happier with the, this three-step process of working our way up to Clemson. He hasn't seen anything in comparison to what he's going to see with Clemson. <laughs> no. and you can't prepare for it. <laughs> yeah, it's... You know, but we're doing we're getting as close as you can. Right, point. right. And... but. Exactly to your point, we want to get him some reps and things like that, but um, what he's about to experience is going to be its going to be a little bit of a nightmare. Clemson looks exceptional, and they reloaded, and they lost a, a, a sick number of NFL <laughs> draft players, and most people are saying that they reloaded the same way Alabama does uh, this year, and it looks like that they did, so... To your point on the schedule, I agree. It's perfect. I want to see a heavy, good, athletic defensive front with ODU going into this Clemson game because that defensive line for Clemson scares the hell out of me. I really want Clemson to be number one next week. I know I know that they, they quote-unquote should be number one, but Alabama did beat the number three team in the country in week one. So they might deserve to be number one, too, and they're Alabama. But hopefully Vandy pulls the upset or at least keeps it close enough to make enough voters change their votes to Clemson because playing number one in your house is so much more historic than playing any other number. It's it's the defending national champs. It's number one is bigger than it's number two. It just is. So I'm hoping for that. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be an incredibly amazing game. And my question to you is, as long as we take care of business against ODU, is this the biggest game in Lane Stadium history? Uh, unequivocally, yes. I, I don't, oh, oh, so I, you, oh, come on. You're unequivocally? Yeah. No, there's no doubt in my mind that I think I, I've given a lot of thought because people keep you know, making comments and posting stuff about it. You have to take the full body of work and put it all together. So Virginia Tech was down for a series of years at the end of of um, you know Beamer and and we fell off the radar. Quite frankly, even last year, to this moment, we're still the aside, not the actual conversation topic. We're still the mashed potatoes. We're not the steak that's happening at dinner. Right? It's it's not there yet. This game has potential. Even in a loss, if you keep it within three, seven points, make it a game, have it go to the fourth quarter, even in a loss, a close loss could put us on the radar in this game. And the atmosphere is going to be insane. And it's probably going to get game day. It puts us back in a way that 
1999 game put us up on the on the map again you know it, it, it it's a building game for the program it's not necessarily about us coming out and winning or losing you're saying it's the biggest because of what it could do for the program but i would still argue that number three virginia tech against number five miami in a spot where the program had already reached a fever pitch and the if we'd won we're insert ourselves into the national championship conversation we were already in it we were eight no when that game took place and Texas and USC obviously stayed undefeated and they went on to play an incredible championship game, but we didn't know that. That was our chance to prove to everyone that we belonged in the national championship. So I would still say 2005 Miami was a bigger game at the time. Clearly we lost, so then it it can't be. But at the time, if you were measuring them each, you know we were higher ranked. We had the national championship on the line. That's not necessarily the case. It could be the case down the road. And we might look back and say Clemson VT was the biggest game in school history. But right now, in terms of an anticipation, I still think that 05 went out, ranks it. Maybe even 2007 BC. BC was two in that Matty Ice game, which I forgot about. But they were number two. And of course, we blew it. Uh, And a couple of the games in 99, we played some ranked opponents, but never a top five matchup. So this one is definitely going to be big. And if it's not the biggest, it's darn close. That's for sure. And I also am... I'm taking it outside the constructs of just you know the numbers of what rank is playing each other. The money's bigger in in college football now. The, the the being at the top means more. It means more for your institution in terms of revenue. There's a lot of things now that this game, if it plays off the way that it should, and it's a close game, the implications of that are massive. For the program even more so than the, they could have been back in you know in the 90s or yeah, the early 2000s you. that that's what i'm saying is it's not if you want to go at what is the best game that's ever happened in lane you're 100 right what i'm saying is what could be the biggest impact on the program especially if we fell off and it's fuente's second year and he, we have no business being as good as we are right now and we should all enjoy that for a moment it's it could be yep. it could be massive. The narrative around Justin Fuente, if he ever pulled off this game, the narrative around him would be insane. He's a superstar. They've already been saying some guys have been saying it, but he is an absolute superstar in coaching. And if he were to beat Clemson, everyone would be saying it, and then we could start being scared about something else. But you're <laughs> right about being thrust if into playoff talk. That is so much more national coverage for your team. So many more people saying Virginia Tech is 5-0 and and they have a chance to go to the playoff, win the ACC. They're now the favorites in the ACC, this and that. Every week, four weeks, it would be amazing. And it would follow so up with I, I, us I'm, against I'm Miami. You, us against Miami would become even bigger because it would just be the spotlight in reverse, right? We have, I mean... There's yeah. just, I get, so I get, I get jittery. Let's put a pin in it now. <laughs> I get jittery thinking about that game. Yeah. We'll talk more about it next week after we hopefully pull off this win. Let's take a beer break before we do picks. What are you drinking over there? I'm switching it up from my first beer. This is way different. I am drinking a Tired Hands 
Milkshake IPA. And Tired Hands combined with Omnipalo, they came together and they did this milkshake series and they put lactose sugar into beer. And I think I talked about this last year, but it's become a thing now to put lactose sugar in beers and it makes them more creamy and it's the New England style. You can't see through the beer. It's very hazy. And this is the extra vanilla milkshake edition. And I have to say it's delicious. The vanilla flavor is just enough. And if you get a chance to go to Tired Hands, it's right outside of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, go because any beers they have on tap, it's one of the premier brewers on the East Coast, in my opinion. Uh, everyone is after their beer, trying to do trades for their beer. It's excellent. It's right up there with a lot of the top-notch beers, uh, breweries out there. So the Tired Hands Extra Vanilla Milkshake, they've done all different flavors, and this series with Omnipolo has just been a roaring success for them. They are making mad loot off of it. I like it. You're a Tired Hands guy. Like I yeah, haven't I like had... It many of their beers i'm gonna have to i'll have, have to bring ship them down to me yeah so i am having um this one uh, also i'm pleading the just ignorance tonight i may have had this one on but i don't think so i had the space cake double ipa you probably know about this one clown shoes nine percent double ipa i think it's really good people are really high on this it is not quite as hoppy as you'd expect in you know in your face as a double IPA that's nine percent you would think would be. It's actually got a good malt flavor to it. I think it's pretty balanced, and I think that's why so many people like it. And I also love their graphics. the The bottles are fantastic, and the beer's pr- pretty good. And I'd probably put it somewhere in the 75 percentile of, of IPAs of, of that I've had and, and what I like. It's enjoyable. Nice. All right, let's do these picks. ODU at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is number 13, and we are now 29-point favorites. This line has moved up and up and up uh, to the point where it's making me a little anxious, but 29 points is so many. I just don't know if ODU is going to be able to score more than 10 points on us with this offense and the fact that they've got this new quarterback. I I'll go first. I'm going to take the I'm going to I'm going to take Virginia Tech. I know that sounds crazy and I and but think about it. 40 to 10, you cover. Yeah. That seems reasonable. No, it's not that it's not that outrageous. It just looks like a big number whenever you see it. It's 29 points. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. More than four touchdowns. It, oh, man, you're really challenging me here because I was hoping we would, I was, I'm going to go, I don't think it's going to be a letdown game whatsoever. There's no letdown. It's just, you might be a look ahead game and I understand that. I'm going to go ODU. I think we win by 21. Something like three touchdowns, I think, is what we win by, or something along those lines. The reason I don't think this spread would work out is more because of either a backdoor cover or because Fuente wants to show absolutely nothing before Clemson. Right. That's that's the only reasons that we wouldn't cover this spread. Letdown. I don't. I'm not even buying into that from this team. Not right now. 
I, I think they are focused. I really do think they are focused. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with VT despite the backdoor cover threat. Next game, and we're gonna move through these quick. Uh, UVA against Boise State on the Smurf turf. Boise State is eleven and a half point favorites. Robbie, who you got? Boise State. I think they can take it down, and it's at home, and they're on the Smurf turf. That's that that blue yeah. field changes everything. I agree with you, man. Next game, NC State at FSU. FSU is number 12 after their opening week loss and not playing a game since. And NC State coming off that uh, that opening week loss to uh, South Carolina as well. They, they've looked a little bit better last week, but the line is 13 points. FSU is the favorite. Who do you have, Robbie? Uh, this game's outrageous. First of all, NC State, everybody was pumped up about. They look like shit so far, and... Florida State, we don't know because they have a new quarterback. So I guess Florida State, I, I don't know anything about them with the new quarterback. I'm going to take NC State because they outgained South Carolina by a lot and just just did what NC State does in opening week games and screwed it up. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to take NC State against those 13 points. Pitt at Georgia Tech, coastal matchup which could uh, end up impacting our standings at the end of the year. Georgia Tech is seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Robbie, who do you like? I tried to do transitive on this one because of the Tennessee game with Florida and what just happened. I'm going to go <laughs> Georgia. Wow. Uh, no, I'm going to go bounce back after Pitt got absolutely embarrassed, and I Ooh. think they're going to be made fun of in that locker room enough that they're going to bounce back and, and have a game that – covers the spread we both took oklahoma state last week right yes yeah and that, that was the easiest was money heard yeah it I, was so easy like i said i oh, told i told gosh. my friends that we were all betting on the on the games i told them i should have bet my daughter who's <laughs> eight weeks and i would you could have won another daughter <laughs> yes i could have won another daughter that's how in the bag that game was i am uh i'm gonna take gt uh minus seven and a half next game bc at clemson Oh man, this is really going to be a fun one. Number two, Clemson is a thirty-four and a half point favorite. I'll go first this time. I'm going to take BC only because Clemson's coming off two tough games, and because they have a tough game coming up, they might not be all there, and they might not care. They have the look at <laughs> they have the look ahead this time. They have the what is it called the the body I don't know body blow body, body bag and look the body ahead. Blows. Yeah, they got both. Yeah. Um fair enough. 34 and a half is outrageous. Uh, I'm probably every time I go for BC I lose. So uh I'll go BC again. I'm going <laughs> You're going to do it anyway. Adazio again. I can't you believe do I'm doing this, this. I can't believe I'm doing every time I go BC I lose. It's probably like 20 games I've lost. Well, at least I'll be right there with you. Next game, this is the the old rivalry, Duke and UNC. Uh, the game's in Chapel Hill, but Duke is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Go ahead, Robbie. You give Duke, us your pick this first. is a no-brainer. And I, I'm, I'm taking like, Duke as well. Yeah, that's I don't even understand why that line's two-and-a-half. You know what's funny, though, is that quarterback from UNC last week uh, he wasn't Brandon good. Harris. Yeah. Chaz Surratt. Yeah, he looked Biggest good. upset of the season. Chaz, he's black. <laughs> or at least mixed. He's not white. 
man. <laughs> Next game. TCU at Oklahoma State. TCU is number 16. Oklahoma State is number 6 after beating down Pitt. And Oklahoma State is 11 and a half point favorite, which is weird because that's the exact same line they were against Pitt late in, this, in, in the week last week. Who do you like, TCU and Oklahoma State, Robbie? I, I, I thought this line was a joke. Uh, I'll take uh, Oklahoma State. You make the line 30, and I'll still take Oklahoma State. Oh, so my God. You, you can add. See, now, I'm, I'm going the other way. I'm taking TCU. I think they're I think they're good. They brought back everyone from last year. I think Oklahoma State is a shoe in for the college football playoff. They look unbelievable. It's Isn't, disturbing how good they look. But what about Kenny Trill? <laughs> Kenny Thrill? <laughs> is he isn't he the quarterback for TCU? Yeah, Kenny Thrill. <laughs> yeah. All right. The thr- the last, thrill is what they call him. <laughs> last game we're gonna pick. Mississippi State at Georgia. Mississippi State's number 17. Georgia's number 11. Georgia's a five-point favorite. Okay. I'll go first. I'm going to take the Bulldogs. They did work against LSU. Damn impressive. Ed Orgeron, he's already on the hot seat. (laughs) I'm going to to take Mississippi State because I don't think Georgia's that good. Who do you got, Robbie? Are they both Bulldogs? Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> I'm going to take Mississippi State. I did clarify that. But, yes, they are both Bulldogs. God, I did it again. <laughs> they need to get more creative with these mascot names. Everyone's the Tigers or the Bulldogs. Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> that two, two weeks in a row we had, we had oh, teams God. that are playing with the same mascot. Um, I'm, going Miss, I'm going Mississippi State. Um, I, yeah, I know uh, you don't like Georgia either. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm anti. Hey, Georgia hasn't done anything in the last twenty years. They get so much props, and they always have a good run game, and their passing is terrible, and they don't really do anything. So, I um I hope Mississippi State does does well. Dan Mullen, I All think right. I think Dan Mullen's a good coach. No, I think he is too, and I'm I'm rooting for them. They're the most likable team in that division. I feel like. Yep, that's the right way to put it. All right, that'll wrap it up. Uh, We're looking forward to the ODU game. We're even more so looking forward to the Clemson game. It has just recently been confirmed that both Robbie and I will be in Blacksburg. He was always going. I've I've now secured ticket and lodging, so I will be at the Clemson game um, only to push the eject button if we were to lose to ODU. (laughs) Yeah, you would have to hit the eject button, and we're – we're going to have plenty of antics going uh, for that Clemson game, given how huge it is this year. Yeah, we might even try to do a Facebook Live segment. If you haven't subscribed to our Facebook page or you know, click the like button, please check that out and do that for us. And subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already, 2DBT.com. Check out the new stats page. You can also click on our beer page, see all the beers we've had. It's getting close to 200 beers. We're getting really, really close. We're on our way. At 2DVT on Twitter. I think I got all the things. And then 2DVT at gmail.com. Any comments or questions you have for us. Um, and that's it. Everyone enjoy the ODU game. And until next time, go Hokies. <laughs>